Good morning. Are y'all doing well? So in a couple of weeks will be Resurrection Sunday. will be that day that we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. You know, uh, there is a, uh, there's a fantastic book. I'm going to recommend it. It's by N.T. Wright. I'm not sure how many are familiar with him, but it's called The Day the, Revela- the Revolution Began. The Day the Revolution Began. And in this book, he talks about this day that we celebrate as, as Easter Sunday, as the resurrection of Christ. This, this event that happened during the Passover, which, which is rife, which, which birthed the Passover into this world. That there was something about this day that was unique. There was something about this day that was different. And what this day did is it brought to us a new way to be human. A new way to be human. N.T. Wright says this, I've argued in this book that according to the earliest Christians, when Jesus died, something happened as a result of which the world was a different place. At 6 o'clock on Friday evening at the cross of Christ, the moment he says it is finished, the world became different. When everything seemed lost, when they were at their lowest point, when it seemed like nothing went the way they expected, the world changed in a fundamental way. Jesus didn't come to create a new religion. He came to create a new world. The first sign of this came on the third day when Jesus rose from the dead. When Jesus rose from his dead, it wasn't just this big surprise. Oh, wow, Jesus rose. What a happy day. What what, What a moment for us. It was a different time. Something now changed. Why? Because the greatest power the world had seen to this point was the power of death. And now death itself was overcome. There was a power that entered the world that was greater than death itself. And it changes everything. Jesus didn't come to give us a way out of this life into heaven. He came to give us a way out of death to bring a new way in which we're to live in this world. The gospel, the good news, is not simply a message about how we escape from this world and get out and how we can look forward to better times and better places. It's a message, it's a revolution that literally changes the definition of what it means to be human. I've never heard that before. Not many. What do you think it means that says when you were born again? What do you think it means when it says you're a new creation? What do you think it means when it says you're translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love? You see, one of the reasons I want can Here's the heart of this. I would submit to you, part of the reason the church doesn't have the effect in the world that the church could have is because we don't realize we're different than the world. We don't realize that there is a new way to live in this world that's different than the world lives. And so if we don't realize it, we don't bring it. If we don't bring it, the world doesn't change. 
Now, what's fascinating is that change does happen anyway. I mean, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to do his work. Christ is going to finish what he started. It's going to be completed. The question is, is are we going to be those who participate with him in it? There are four ways that the cross and the resurrection of Christ is not simply a, a ticket to escape hell in this world, but it demonstrates the power of God that defeats the darkness. Four ways. Number one, it overcomes the powers of evil. Number two, it forgives sins. Number three, it leads to a self-giving love so that the world will believe. And number four, it becomes a sharp personal challenge to our own lives confronting us. There are four ways in which we are new, in which we are different, in which we are to live in this world, that we bring change in this world. Number one, we need to understand the power of darkness have already been defeated. The cross demonstrates the powers of darkness are already defeated. Already defeated. That doesn't mean they're not active in this world. It does not mean they won't try to steal, kill, and deceive. It means that when they do, we don't have to fear that they win. It means that we can confront the worst that they bring and bring life in its place. It means even if we have to go to the cross like Christ, we become the seed that brings life like Christ. Number one, it's a new way to be a human, to be able to confront everything this world can throw at you, and you say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is what Christ has done to overcome that, which leads us to number two, the forgiveness of sins. My goodness, there is nothing more powerful. Just a couple of weeks ago, we were at a wedding. And we're sitting at the table, and someone had asked us how long you've been married. And so this year will be 32 years for my wife and I. Yeah, pretty good, huh? Some of you, some, there's a few of you here saying that we're still amateurs. I get that. But for a lot of others, it seems like pretty good, right? And somebody said, what's the key? What is the, what is it? What's the magic word? What do you have? What is it that can cause you to last that long? I said, do you want it in one word? They said, yes. Forgiveness. They said, oh, I wasn't expecting that word. Forgiveness. There is a new way to be human. It is to be forgiven and to forgive. That is what Jesus did. He overcame the powers of darkness, and by by forgiving us, by forgiving us, the powers of darkness no longer had power over us. So will we hold on to unforgiveness, allowing the powers of darkness to keep sway over us and others? Or will, we be a new, will it be a new way that we are human? Number three, self-giving love so that the world will believe. Self-giving love so that the world will believe. Jesus demonstrated that forgiveness. He demonstrated that overcoming by embracing the cross. By embracing the cross, by be- becoming that sacrifice. He demonstrates what it takes to demonstrate the power that is greater than death. The power of love is the power that says, you come before me. I lay my life down for you. And when we do that, the world says, that's different. That's not like everybody else. That's not like everything else. It becomes, why can't, the world says this, why can't I stamp that out? And it becomes a sharp personal challenge. Becomes a sharp personal challenge of holiness in our lives. Not a holiness because we're following the certain rules. A holiness because following the course of this world, we follow in the powers of darkness. Following our Lord in that holiness that confronts us isn't a place of judgment. It's a place of freedom. 
It's a place where we demonstrate we are no longer following the powers of darkness. It's a place where we say to the world, the power that overcomes is a new way to be human. That new way to be human starts by looking inside. You know, the Bible teaches us through stories. How many of you know the Bible teaches through stories? So, if you've, been, if you've been around me in any personal conversation for more than five minutes, you know I've got a story for everything. Now, see, you can hear all the people who know that right now. I have a story for everything. But that's how the Bible teaches us. The Bible is about stories. It gives us incredible theology, dumping out of the stories. It, why? Number one, it's because it's, it's the reality and the truth of God being lived out in real life. You see, these are stories about real people in real time who lived in this world just like we do right now. And through that, the power of God is demonstrated, and we, we learn, we understand, we grow through these stories. And the authors give us these stories, and they shape them, they form them, and fashion them so that we not only see the power of God in the lives of the characters, but they also give the theology of who God is and how we're to do this. All right, so we're going to look briefly at at one story. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Maybe I'm going to get there. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 13, and we're going to go through this story, and I think this story gives us these... Got it. I think this story gives us these principles we're talking about right here. This is John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. It says this, it says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So John is starting this part of the story. What's going on here? This is right the, the, the Last Supper. Jesus is about to have the Last Supper with his disciples. It is the night before he's about to be crucified. And he's about to do something to demonstrate everything that it means to be a new human. He's about to do something that's going to shock them. It's going to be different than what they expect. And John puts this story in the light of Passover. He says the feast of Passover is at hand. Why did he do that? Because the feast of Passover was the defining moment of Israel. Israel became a new nation. In the way we become a new human... Israel became a new nation at Passover. By the passing over the blood of that Passover lamb, by, the, by coming under the blood of the lamb, Israel was birthed to be the people of God, to be a kingdom of priests, to be both what? Reigning a kingdom in this world and priests with God, being both holy and a nation, diffusing of everything that it means to be human with all that it means to reflect the divine. That was the call of Israel in this moment. That's what Passover meant to them. And John is not accidental. It's not an incidental thing that John says this is happening at Passover. He I say this just happened at Passover to tell us. He's trying to tell us this story is about how Passover is worked out in our lives today. And he says this, Jesus knew the hour that he come to depart out of this world to the Father. John knew very clearly who Jesus was. He was the living God who had come to be flesh, it says in chapter 1. The Word become flesh, who was God, who was with God, and nothing was created that wasn't created through him. And yet he left all that to come here, and he was going back to the Father. Now it says this, he loved them to the end. What did it mean for Jesus to love? 
Because the power that overcomes the world, the power that gives us the ability to be a new type of human, is that ability to love. What did it mean for Jesus to love? For Jesus to love, the first thing it meant is he left his place in glory and took on the humility, humility of being a human. He left being the creator to take on the body of the creation. He left being the, 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 the one we are to serve to be the one who is the servant of all. That's the first thing it meant for Jesus to love. The second thing it meant for Jesus to love. Now catch this. He knew this ahead of time. He knew this ahead of time. He knew that if he was going to love us and he was going to return to the Father, which was the intention, in order for him to love, the only path back to the Father was through the painful crucifixion of the cross. He knew before coming that the only path back to the Father in order to love us was the painful crucifixion of the cross. So for Jesus, what it meant for him to love was to leave everything that was glory to take on everything that was humble and experience all that was that the, the, the death and malignancy of this world would put on him in order for him to return. That's what's in that one word. Jesus loved them to the end. The next verse tells us this. During the supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Verse 2. During the supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Right now, it's set up. There's a setup at this moment. The author is trying to tell us something. Here is Jesus with his disciples at the Last Supper. And who in the very next verse is there? The devil. You see, the first part of understanding what it means to be a new human is to understand that he overcame the powers of darkness. Who was seated right there at that Last Supper table was Judas. And what had come into Judas was the devil himself. All of the powers and the forces of darkness represented the devil. Now, what's fascinating to me, how many know you and I are called... You and I are called to be the agents of God in this world. You and I are called to be his ambassadors. You and I are called to be a new kind of human, to bring his message. Well, in that same way, Judas is expressing his agency to the devil. Notice how the devil is manifest in the text. He's manifest in the text by putting it into the heart of Judas to betray Jesus. What is he saying? He's saying the power of darkness operates in this world by infecting the hearts and actions of mankind. But right now we are set up in the second verse for a cosmic battle that's about to happen. Just as the devil deceived Eve with the death that led to the death of mankind, just as the sons of God rebelled and led to the corruption of mankind at the flood, just as the powers of heaven uh, 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 led mankind astray in idolatry at the Tower of Babel, just as Pharaoh was deceived into believing the gods of Egypt could overcome the creator God himself, so Judas is sitting there as the agent of the devil, and it didn't stop Jesus one second. You see, the locus of the power of spiritual forces in the world today is in the heart and actions of humanity. 
That's why Jesus said, Paul said to this in, in Ephesians, and you, and you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, in once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. What did he just say? We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're following the prince of this air. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of body and mind, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Every single one of us born into this world, following after our flesh, the desires of the mind, the mind of the body, are serving the powers of darkness in this world. Ouch. But Paul goes on in Colossians and says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Did y'all catch that? Did y'all catch what's going on here? Here's Jesus. He's sitting here. John's given us this story about what's about to happen. He says, it happens at Passover. Jesus, who is God himself, has come in flesh, and he loves us. He loves us deeply. And so the next scene is what? you got de- the devil deceiving Judas. Judas is an agent of the devil. Our, our, what does that tell us? It tells us, our, uh, Jesus says, our wrestle, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but we wrestle with powers and principalities. Jesus didn't see Judas as his enemy. He saw the devil as his enemy, and Judas is the agent of it. We don't, if you're going to find a new way to be human, you need to understand that we are defeating, we are standing against the powers of darkness. It's not people who are our enemies. It's the forces of darkness behind them. And it is the cross that overcomes those forces of darkness. And it starts with the forgiveness in our hearts. And how can we bring that forgiveness to them in their lives? Did you follow that? Because Jesus said, Paul just tells us, on the cross, when he forgave our sins, when he wiped them away, when he washed them away, what did he do? He disarmed the rulers and authorities of this world. He put them to open shame. Hmm. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He set aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Okay, I may are familiar with this picture, the washing of the disciples' feet. You've seen this, all right? So that was all the intro to wiping of the disciples' feet. Let me just get to the bottom line what's happening here. Jesus just did something. He just did something that literally shocked them. First thing it says, carefully, look at the text. It says he took out his outer garment, his outer coat. That outer garment he wore signified who he was. He was the teacher. He was the master. He had on a coat that demonstrated his place of authority, that demonstrated his, his, his place of leadership among them. And it says he took that off. He laid it aside, and he took a towel, and he wrapped it around him. Then he got a basin, and he poured water in it, and he began to wash their feet. Now, this doesn't shock us, because we've read it so many times. We've heard it. Culturally, culturally, a disciple of a master in, in, in that setting would have done everything for their master. 
They would have opened, they would have tried to imitate everything their master done. They would have done everything for them. The one thing they wouldn't have done is wash his feet because that was left to the slaves. That was servant work. That was bond servants. Disciples didn't do that. Slaves did that work. John tells about this earlier when, when, in, when John the Baptist sees Jesus. He says, look, you see Jesus? I'm not even worthy to undo the sandals on his feet. I'm not even worthy to be the servant, the slave of Jesus. I'm not worthy for that. And what is Jesus doing? He's doing the very thing John says he's not worthy to do. Do you want to understand what it means to be a new type of human? What it means to live in this world? What it means to overcome the powers of darkness? What it means to live in forgiveness? Jesus takes on this cultural, this, this, this thing that culturally would have been completely foreign to them. Completely foreign. And he kneels down and he washes their feet. They're shocked. They don't understand what's going on. Do you want to know why they don't understand what's going on? Because the cross is foolishness to the world. Do you know, um, how, how many are familiar with any of the teachings in, in the Quran, any of the Islamic teachings? Am I familiar with those? Nobody's familiar. Wow. So one of the things they say is, well, we believe that, you know, Jesus was born of a virgin, but we don't believe he died on a cross. You know why? Because who would have their God die on a cross? That's weakness. That's weakness. Paul says that the cross, it's foolishness to the world. The stumbling block for the Jews is foolishness to the world. But then he says, to those who believe, it's the power of God to salvation. You see, if we want to have, if we want to change the world, we change the world the way Jesus changed us. How did Jesus change us? By going to the cross. What does this demonstrate, this, this act of service demonstrate? It, dis, it demonstrates him laying his life down on behalf of his brothers and his sisters. It demonstrates him taking on the ultimate of humility in order to serve them, in order to show us how we are to act in the world. Why? Because when we act in the world this way, it changes the world. You see, there's a, there's a problem we don't like about love. Can I tell you what we don't like about the power of love? How many are ready to be honest about the power of love? It takes too long. It looks like the other guy wins. Do good to your enemies. Forgive those who would curse you. I don't want to do that. It looks like they win when I do that. Jesus, you're washing my feet, Peter says. Don't wash my feet. Don't do that. It doesn't look right. We don't like the power of love. We want someone else to demonstrate the power of love, but we don't want to demonstrate the power of love. How 
How many, how many, come on, watch the news. How much is there a cry for justice in the world today? I mean, what, what do you think all of the riots and, and all of the, the, the um, uh, fighting and all the things going on are about? They're all about what? A cry for justice. Well, where do we find justice ultimately satisfied? Anybody? The cross. The cross. The justice is ultimately satisfied in the cross. Do we want to demonstrate the justice of God in this world? Well, what it means is we look in the world around us. This, I'm going to be super practical with this. Super practical. This is exactly what it means. It means we look in the world around us and we say, where is there the injustice that the world is crying out? How can I do everything in my power by, by the gifting and all that he has put within me to cooperate with God to find a way to bring his mercy, his love, and his justice in the middle of that circumstance? Look, if it bothers you, if it moves you, God's already speaking to you. But we want to sit back. Why doesn't somebody do this? Or God, hurry up and get me out of here. Jesus, come back so this all gets fixed. Jesus is already here. Look at the person next to you. He's already here. We're about to celebrate communion. Communion is all about discerning the body of Christ. When we learn to sacrifice as Jesus has sacrificed, we live as a new kind of human. When we live as a new kind of human, we overcome the powers of darkness. We forgive one another as we have been forgiven. And instead of fighting for justice from a seed of bitterness, from a seed of unforgiveness, from a seed of my right, we, we fight on behalf of the other person to try to lift people up instead of tearing people down. What does the world do? What does the world, how does the world bring justice? The world brings justice by canceling people. Look, you're not bringing justice. I'm going to cancel you. We're going to steal your career. I'm going to make it say you, you did something 20 years ago. No forgiveness. This is radical. It was radical when Jesus did it. It's radical now. If we want to see Jesus return, he's waiting for us to be him and usher his return. Why did that get quiet? So that leads us to the third thing and the final thing, and I'll close out with this. It gives us a sharp personal challenge. In this story, John says, Jesus is talking. I'm not speaking about all of you. Well, actually, I need to finish the, the, the start part before that so that makes sense. When he washed their feet and put on the outer garments, he resumed his place and he said, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you ought to also wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that, that you also should do just as I've done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. They said this, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Did you catch that? Church people, it doesn't mean you're a church person just because you're in church. He who 
has ate my bread lifted his heel against me. Church people, doesn't mean you're church people just because you're in church. I am telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives me receives the one I sent, uh, receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. You see, if there's one thing that the world has, and far too often rightly has against the church, it's the hypocrisy in the church. It's when we declare the goodness and the love of Jesus and then live like the world. I remember riding in a car with an electrician. I was working in construction, and there was two guys in the front seat. I'm sitting in the back, and it's, I don't know how the conversation came up, but the one thing the guy said is that the one, one organization I will never work for again is another church. They kept, they, they kept asking me for discounts. They, they kept asking me to give them something for nothing. They kept you know, beating up my work and what I did even when I was helping them out. You see, the sharp, the sharpest light needs to turn inside, not in judgment, but in making things right. If we are going to be the light of the world, that light needs to start by looking inside. And that's what we're about to do right now. This is an opportunity. If you want to understand what it means to be a new place to be human, a new way to be human in this world, it starts right now with what we're about to do in this act of communion. As we are to realize the sacrifice that Jesus did on our behalf, we are to look inside. We are to examine. We are to say, Jesus, where am I falling short? Not because I'm breaking some rule. Not because there's some rule that I need to keep, but because it, though when I, when, when I am acting the way the world acts, I am what? I am actually serving the powers of darkness. I am actually serving the very powers that Jesus claims he defeated. And that ties us all together.